We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, we're rolling. What is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you, as always, for locking in, whether it's the audio side, the video side. I appreciate you all. Uh, Today is Wednesday. Well, when this episode drops anyway, it is Wednesday. That means, as always, and at least for a couple more weeks anyway, I'm joined by my good friend. I would say probably my my best buddy in podcasting these days, man. Aaron Quinn from Cover One. What's going on, dude? How you doing? I'm good, although you're replacing me here, and so I might lose friendship points. No, and you're, no, I, no, no. I never actually get out for wings with you. We've been talking about it for like two and a half years. That's listen, man. So you're, you're, not moving to, you're not moving to China this summer. You got the kids. Um, so for people who are like, it feels like moving you, to China when you have kids. Yeah, <laughs> trying to make plans to hang out with other friends. Yeah. Sure. For people who don't know what the hell we're talking about right now, Aaron's been doing the show for a while now, every week with me, but uh. Summer's coming up when school's done. He's got the kiddos, so he's going to be unavailable to do that. Still going to get you on whenever yeah. we can, a little bit here and there over the summer. In fact, I definitely, I've talked to your partner at Cover One, Greg uh, Thompson, a couple times. Hopefully, he's going to be able to get in here sometime this summer, and maybe the three of us can go do a, have some wings at Imperial and do that live from Imperial series. So oh, for sure. That would definitely be cool. But anyway, um, so yeah, you'll be here this it's week a- and next week. Yep. And then Same you, with spaces. I know you've been a fan yeah. of listening to yeah, our spaces. We're going to have to cut that out too. There's no way I can do that with kids <clears throat> around my house. But uh, we talk a lot about this parenting, right? Like you're, you've experienced it and we get to talk about it back mm-hmm. and forth. And that's been fun for me. And Pat, this one is a big summer for me. And I got a lot of feels coming up here because uh, for those that don't know, I've been a, uh, mostly my job is being a stay at home dad and has been here for the last eight years. Um, and my youngest son now is going to be in kindergarten in September. So this is the last like summer I have of just being a full-time stay at home dad. Like yeah. I get a couple hours with him in pre-K, but I'm with 
I've been with a kid, a little kid, a little toddler type kid every day for eight years. Uh, and I got some feels, man. It's very bittersweet. Like I'm excited for my kids to continue to grow up. And I was out golfing with them yesterday. Like it's fun to watch them de- develop and grow and do things. But dude, like it already feels like a distant memory. My first son being at home and now my second one's heading to kindergarten. So I don't know how parents deal with all that. It's parenting just feels constantly bittersweet like i'm excited for the future but the past is just drifting by and i can't hold on to it how do you do it they say i heard a a saying i'm trying to make sure i get it right like the great paradox of, of parenting is that it moves like in slow motion and fast speed at the same exact time one of my favorite things about talking to you all the time, and whether it's about this podcast or talking in DMs, whatever it may be, online, offline, whatever, is the age gap between us with with being in terms of being a, a father, at least anyway, and plus our just our age as well. It's interesting to me because again, you're going through, you're just starting the peaks and valleys, whether it's sports stuff, whether it's school stuff, life stuff, whatever, where my kids they've done that. And they're always gonna be my kids, but now they're not kids yeah. anymore. Like one of them is le- like literally, I go to the bar with her right now if I wanted to, and the other one is six yeah. months away um, from being the same. So that's always been fun with you. But yeah, dude, enjoy it. I tell you that all yeah. the time, man. Just enjoy it. And uh, you're right, it is bittersweet. It always seems that way. I still get nostalgic and oh. sad sometimes when I think about, especially my son. You know, because he was a football guy and, and a sports guy, but. Yep. You know, we, we've talked about this a lot before, you know, just going through that, it, it is bittersweet, but I'm also happy to see him get older and go yep. on and start doing some things um, as well. But anyway, yeah, so Aaron will be here this week and next week. And then after that, for the summer, um, he's uh, Anthony Marino is going to, he's going to hold that seat for you anyway. Um, nice. Anthony Marino I would love to Buffalo come talk with Anthony too. He's a great dude. Yeah. Yeah, man. If you can make it, you know, if it works out that you could jump on for a week, that'd be cool. Yeah. Anthony Marino is from uh, Buffalo Rumblings. Good friend of mine, real nice guy. So I'll have him on Wednesdays uh, for the summer once Aaron's gone. Good basketball conversations with Anthony. He always has good basketball takes too. He's a TV show guy too. So that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to. You know, on this show, I like to talk about more than just sports. Um, Two quick things I want to plug real quick. Number one, if you're watching us on the video side, I'm going to hold it up here real quick. If you haven't gotten this book, folks, make sure you do. Um, I'm going to put a link to it as well. It's Freddie J makes his play. It's a children's coloring book. You know what, Aaron, I'm going to get you a copy of this as well. I got a few of them, um, featuring Fred Jackson and it's written by mm. Stevie Johnson and, uh, my good buddy, Charles Roberts. They're, uh, nice. it's their second one. They got a series coming and there's there more books in the future, but it's, uh, it's a cool book for kids, man. So make sure you put that uh, or go get that. I'll put a link to it. It's available on Amazon all you over know- the place. <laughs> You're old enough to remember probably. And I don't think the NFL does as good of a job or enough of this. Uh, like that. I feel like they used to, do you remember the huddles? Yeah. Series of yeah. books. Yeah. It was like in the eighties, mid eighties yeah. or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I do. They were still kicking around and cool in the nineties. And I used yeah. to get them from the school library all the time, dude. And that type of like connecting kids, like that, like that type of book where it's a coloring book and it's interactive. My kids love that kind of stuff. Like they aren't into football. Like they don't understand football, but they know daddy likes Josh Allen and mm-hmm. everybody at school dresses up for Bill's games. They love coloring logos and stuff like that. Like it is a smart way. And I think, man, teams are missing something with like that huddles or connecting kids to teams early on. 
uh, and getting new fans. I mean, the NFL's not struggling. Fanship's fine, but it just seems like there's not as much of that like cartoony stuff. So that's cool. I agree. And I think for little kids reading that stuff, that can get them into the sport, you know? So I, mm-hmm. I think that's really cool for sure. But anyway, go get that. On yesterday's show, I had a guy named PK. And I know most people were like, well, who in the hell is PK? Um, he's from the Buffalo Sports Collective. I had him on the podcast yesterday. I'm going to start having him on more regularly too, man. And uh, big fan of you guys, by the way. He gave a lot of props awesome. to cover one. Um, really cool dude. Holds his own with Bills and Sabres. You know, you definitely have a nice conversation with him. But what he really excels at is like stuff that we don't talk about. And most people don't, frankly, in Buffalo anymore. Bandits, Bisons. Uh, yeah. things like that. They're really good like that. What he's got a, mm-hmm. a partner, Philly, do a podcast. So make sure you uh go check that out too. We're gonna talk some Ed Oliver today. Some uh some signings. Talk about the trenches with the Bills. If we get yep. a chance at the end, we're gonna do our finish the sentence segment. Hopefully, we can get to that. Every once in a while, we've done these a handful of times. We have these. Uh, I call them TV power rankings. Um, got to give Aaron homework and to come up with uh his top ten, and then I have a top ten. And uh, I don't remember what inspired me. It was something I'm sure on Twitter, but I wanted Aaron to come up with his list of the 10 most listened to albums of his lifetime. And I want to be real clear about something too, whether this is Aaron's list or mine, because we're going to share them both here in just a minute and go through them. These are albums that you've listened to the most over the course of your lifetime, or, you know, even if it's just been in the last handful of years, you just listen to them so much. It's probably been more than ones when you were younger. These aren't necessarily automatically. This is not Aaron Quinn or Pam Baran's top 10 favorite albums of all time. These are the top 10 most listened to. I can only speak for myself here, yeah. but there's at least a couple on my list. They certainly wouldn't be in my top 10 favorite albums of all time. But again, I've listened to these albums more than I've listened to pretty much, uh, any other ones so on that note for, go ahead yeah for me so going into the i love this type of stuff first of all pat this is one of my mm-hmm. favorite reasons why we talk um for me the way i kind of like was framing how i went about putting my list together was thinking of one i don't listen to albums anymore right me and so the newer stuff is i'm streaming so it's playlist mm-hmm. it's curated playlist things like that so yeah. Very rarely, if there's like a hip hop guy I love and an album comes out, I will play that on rotation for a bit. But nothing is going to be the same for us as when we were limited by like hardware and purchase price and access to music, right? So when I had to buy CDs, I was limited to the 100 CDs or whatever I had or whatever I was able to burn. And again, when I was burning, it was more mixtapes. It wasn't an album put out by somebody. So this is a very refined period of time in my personal life. Because when I was young, I was talking to my wife about this because I asked her the same question. Like, what are some of the albums you listen to probably the most? And um, for us, it was tough. I, when I was really young, I could not afford a full tape or album. So I would buy the singles and it would have like one or two songs. So mm-hmm. like early nineties, I have a ton of singles that I wore out and played a, a crap ton. Some of my favorite songs and artists albums didn't really start to come to think till uh, I would buy, get the 12 for free from uh Columbia house or whatever the thing was. I would get those yeah. um, <laughs> once in a while I would head to a strawberries and buy a full album CD, but it really wasn't until like my later teens, twenties when I had my own money and I was able to go out and go to stores and buy CDs. So a lot of these, I know for a lot of people will probably be really weird and random and ones maybe they haven't heard of, but it's because of the limit uh, of when I was listening to full albums. And I'm interested to know, do with the age gap of us, I think we run the same period of time almost as like 
how music was delivered when we were young. Tapes, CDs, for the most part, that's what we got. And stuff that was on the radio was delivered to us. Now the way music industry is, right, with TikTok and streaming services and more independent artists, Instagram can get out. Are kids even, like, listening to albums? Like, do albums drop and kids, it's got to just be all whatever popular. My son's 20. I don't think he's ever purchased an album or a CD in his entire life. It's weird. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm not judging it. It's just so, no, it's, it's just such a different, different concept sure. for, of how you get delivered music. To I, me. I think, and again, I know because I made a chart, so I know what your selections are. You don't know what mine are. And you're an adult and you're not young. I mean, you're certainly not old either, but you're like, you're not in your 20s. You know what I'm, I'm middle saying? aged, I think, appropriately. Yeah, and I'm on the verge of being old. And I think when we do, sometimes we do exercises like this. I think you start to see the age gap more and more between you and I. Like real quick here, not to get off topic, but like my well, wife. How old are you? How old are you? I'm, I'm 52. 52, okay. Yeah. Now my wife is eight years younger than me. And there's been, there's lots of times where it doesn't seem that, first of all, she's way more mature and smarter than I am. Despite Usually, yeah, gap, for sure. For sure. But every now and then when it comes to certain things, you do start to see that gap. I think this is going to be one of those things where you and I, you see that age gap. And I'll get to mine uh, We get some... I will say, I think that one of the reasons we do connect so much is my brother's 46. He's six years older than me. So he's a little closer to you in terms of Mm -hmm. the things that he was introducing to me at a young age. Like my influence of like hip hop and RB has a lot to do with what my brother was listening to and getting mixtapes and what he was listening to on the radio when we were kids. And so I have a little, I would say my stylistic preferences are probably older for my age so that's probably why a lot of times we're closer on some of this stuff i agree um i think this i think the sweet spot for you and i is 90s to maybe maybe or very early 2000s like r&b and some late 80s i think we meet in the i think we meet in the middle there when it comes to 94 is where we yeah i agree now you are into more recent music over the last yeah. 15 years than I am. Whereas I'm way more into eighties music because yes. of my age. So that's why I think the age gap comes in. I think our sweet spot though is somewhere in the I do 90s think we meet we back up together. in like the fifties, sixties Motown oh, yeah, 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 music yeah. somewhere. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, we're both, yeah. that's older than both of us, but yeah, yeah. we both love uh, that kind of music. So on that note, and by the way, when I do say albums to Aaron's point, I'm talking albums Cassettes, like stuck in your CD CDs, player, listening to majority of it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, like Taylor, I know neither. Here's a spoiler alert. Taylor Swift is not on either of our lists. But I do know a lot of people, like you said, they'll subscribe to Spotify Premium or whatever. But I know a lot of people actually who would went out and Taylor bought Swift's her, one. who downloaded her entire album they purchased it. So that would be Her eligible. fans are different though. Yeah, absolutely. They are. <laughs> They're fanatical. Let's just leave it at that. All right, let's, so let's get going here. I'll pull up your list first and, uh. You can start going through these. So these are Aaron Quinn's 10 most listened to albums. Yes. So I really did try to leave off greatest hits and anthologies and stuff like that. I'll go backwards here, but I I just want to preface that. So number 10 um, is Nelly's Country Grammar Mm -hmm. CD. This was huge uh, in my like sophomore junior year of high school and probably the time i was like listening to cds the most i had a really cool six disc changer with lights and stuff in my room uh all my buddies had the cool ones in their cars that like flip down and style like all these fancy cds and that thing sure. that summer the nelly just had hit after hit after hit if you're a hip-hop fan i don't have to describe it to you that period of time like oh 
one oh two nelly was just on fire with that album and a couple of, of his songs were just i mean bar anthems you know you play with oh, the bar all the time huge. country grammar and hot in here complete yeah. utter bar anthems okay yeah and just own that summer so um definitely was constant repeat not just in my own listening but every time i was in a friend's car or whatever uh michael jackson thriller really ought to be on everyone's list it is like the number one selling album of all time, one of the best albums ever, one of the most played albums ever. I mean, just hit after hit after hit. Uh, Quincy Jones is an absolute genius and does not get the respect he deserves for the type of music that Agreed. he's put together all throughout his career for decades of decades of music. And uh, I think Thriller's the crown jewel of his whole. Won't be the first time we're talking about that album. Okay, yeah. go ahead. And it's not, honestly, I don't even know that there's, a, I don't even think like, any of my top five Jackson tracks are from that album, maybe. Right. I'd have to think about it. But the album as a whole is just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, this one's going to be one that most people haven't heard of. I know that already. Including uh, bro- me. Brother Ali, Shadows on the Sun. Um, if you are into hip hop, there was a period of time in like the mid 2000s, like 04 to 08, 09, <clears throat> where there was a, a record label called Rhyme Sayers out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And they were putting out some of the most fantastic hip hop music that I had heard since the mid 90s, like real traditional sound, a, a very unique storytelling. Um, and they were putting out some bangers of albums. And Brother Ali, uh, he is an albino rapper from Minneapolis. And this is a no skips album front to back uh, defined a, a period of time in my life in my early 20s. Um, I've seen brother Ali in atmosphere six or seven times more than I've seen any other, uh, person. I've given my money and bought albums and support them in every way possible because, um, I don't want to go on a dissertation here or anything, but the way hip hop is now, some of the best music doesn't get spotlight and doesn't get shown. And so you hear again, these arguments with people and they'll be like, Oh, Eminem's record sales or whatever. And that's just insincere because the, there are albums that I would put up to any unbiased person and these guys are par for par with all those guys so brother ali gets up there for me and he's got other albums that probably should be on this list uh number seven for me is jay-z the black album this is the last time i think jay-z was elite i think that he had a run for about a seven eight year window uh where he was just untouchable a jordan-esque run of hip-hop domination and and his record sales matched the talent really kind of counter what i just said and the black album was just such a perfect way to cap off that type of run that he had um i don't even know that it was necessarily his best album in this run but when that came out it was in this prime that i'm talking about buying cds and listening to the cds and dude me and my friends were just in love with everything jay did at this period of time it's a great album still holds up to this day and again i think He's still fantastic. He's a billionaire. He's a great businessman. He's done a lot for hip hop. I think he fell off after this. I do. I think he got spoiled to the lifestyle. He's still got some good tracks and he sounds good on once in a while, but the quality of albums he was putting out at this period of time was unmatched. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number six, this has a huge influence from my brother, Brian Quinn, boys to men too. Um, Dude, that period of time when this came out, that album, that summer, like boys to men was just everywhere 
Anytime you turn on the radio, anytime you turn on MTV, Boys to Men dominated the airwaves. And this album just was on all the time uh, in our car, in our house. Uh, Boys to Men really sh- was a big influence for me and what my style of music was at that period of time. Real skating ranks, dude. Couple skates was all Boys to Men for like a year and a half. I got to cut you off to tell you one quick thing with Boys to Men. This album, this album and another one, which I'll mention in a, shortly. When I went to Duville during this time, the early nineties. And these were like my hookup albums, man. I was trying to hook up with a a girl at school, man. I'm telling you right now, it was boys and men and this other album, which I'll mention in a minute. Total God. I love this. Ooh. Yeah. Ah. That's the song specifically (laughs) I'm thinking of too. That was like my, that was like my song. They're trying to close the deal song. I swear to God. Dropper. Danny Dropper. (laughs) Anyways, this one's going to be, um, controversial. Cause R Kelly's a shitty person. Sure. Straight up dirtbag i'll defend somewhat michael jackson i don't think that anything that he's done is actually i think there's a lot of noise around that a lot of people chasing Mm -hmm. trying to attach something and build a narrative from what i've seen michael's a bit of a weirdo but i don't think he's the animal right we don't know it can can conclusively anyway as as, as such we do with r kelly but yeah i know what you're saying and you're right r kelly is a straight up monster Mm -hmm. he's got some mental health issues uh, but dude i'd be he's still it's i am torn because he's still one of the like top vo- male vocalists i've ever easily. heard albums out easily and so this album uh particularly there it would have been this and the uh 2p2.com 12 play two, uh, which was in my high school era. But this mm-hmm. one came out when i was like in middle school and again yeah, great in album. line with this boys to men of like this was all I played to girls. Right. Like, I mean, this was a love anthem uh, album. It's a very good one. The, the songs still hold up. I just wish R. Kelly wasn't a total piece of crap because I don't even like streaming his music. Right. I don't like supporting the guy. But at this time, man, I was all in on this. Season. Yeah, we're, and again, we're talking about albums that we've listened to the most. And at the yeah. time, these albums were must. I had no to. idea what he was doing in 1993 exactly. or wherever Absolutely. this came out, 96. Yep. Um, number four, this is probably another one a lot of people haven't heard of, The Foreign Exchange, Leave It All Behind. This actually won a Grammy. Uh, you put album. me on to this not too long ago. Some this is newer. It is a little bit newer. I think it's now like 10, 12 years old, but it was newer at the time, yeah. uh, relative speaking. Uh, this is a really cool band or group it's actually become an r&b like collective there's multiple artists under the sort of foreign exchange blanket but mm-hmm. it's um i don't know if anybody is into hip-hop have heard of little brother who is a really good act down out of south carolina um ninth wonder is their producer which he's a really great producer fonte from little brother was on this site called okay player back in the day back in the 2000s where music it was kind of like um soundcloud where people would upload their music and it was a uh, message board community about music he met a producer in the netherlands named nicolay and not this album but their first album they made they never met they just made an album over the internet online and it's a total banger super unique sound and then they followed it up with this one this one won grammy it has some of the best modern love songs i've heard uh the reason this is so high up on my list, when I met my wife, I gave her this, I burned her a copy of the CD and she fell in love with it. And that's when I knew like this girl's got class, like she's style. <laughs> this is my type of girl. And we listen to this all the time and we still listen to it. And we'll, I'll grab her and dance with her. And it just, it's love to me. So mm-hmm. that's why it's up there. Number three, uh, really one of the most influential albums. And I, I think um, really probably the end of an era in my opinion of hip hop. Cause I think he got totally off the rails after this. And this sure. was his best music in my opinion of all time. I think Kanye West climaxed 
at college dropout. It's a totally perfect, no skips album to me. Um, if you haven't seen the Netflix documentary on Kanye, where they talk about how this album came together, dude, it really is magic. I don't think anyone will ever be able to reproduce this type of thing. And this honestly, straight up didn't come out of my car CD player for the longest time. We just listened on repeat through the skits. It just played out totally perfectly. Um, really unmatched. Good album. Great album. Yeah. Uh, number two, the only reason I have this ahead of Kanye is I probably was more interested in it because it was so freaking unique. I don't know if you've ever listened to this one. Kid Cudi's Man on the Moon. Um, don't know it well. I, I know who Kid Cudi is, but I don't know a lot of his music. Not gonna very lie similar vibe to the Kanye West Kanye College Dropout, but just way unique, way out in left field with how he connected hip hop with some other musical sounds and the shit he was talking about. Like, just a real fantastic, creative album. And again, I think he totally dropped off after this. Uh, but that album, unbelievable. And the number one for me is The Temptations Greatest Hits. Dude, I bought this because I scratched it so many times, <laughs> nine or ten times in my life. Like, I had the tape. I had the CDs. I would, oh, whenever it started skipping, I'd buy it again. Uh, I don't think people realize how many hits and how long of a span they were making hits Mm -hmm. for that the temptations did it was really like four decades of musical hits in the best record label of all time i think we talk a lot about different acts from motown but i don't believe outside of Smokey robinson and he was part a lot of the temptation success i don't think anyone had more of an impact on the sound that we think of Motown than the temptations. And dude, I, I worked in a cafe and would play that. Like everybody would get a chance to play something as we were cleaning up. And anytime I put on temptations, no matter the person's age or background or whatever, dude, everyone got dancing and everyone feels better when they listen to the temptations. I doubt if you were feeling down, go play a temptations playlist. I guarantee you, you will feel good. Your toes will tap. It is just good music. I will give you this a hundred percent. Anytime we pretty much have something music related, you are very consistent with happens in the temptations really high up on something or David Ruffin specifically. And and you've been, and you've been completely uh, consistent with that. Again, I, I look at your list and the kinds of music that we like are the same. The difference to me is going, you're going to see in just a second here, is the time Era. frame, the errors. Like um, all of your song or all of your albums minus two, which one of them is number one. And that's that, you know, that precedes both of us at Temptations. But you got Michael Jackson, who's an early 80s album. Mm-hmm. Besides that, all your albums are 90s and newer, which again, given your age is completely understandable. That's part of the point of this exercise seeing our age difference as well and what we liked. All right, I'm going to get to mine, and I want to say this. Eight out of my ten are from the 80s. <laughs> so, and I, I mean, three of them are rap. And again, you got some rap music too, but all three of mine are 80s rap albums, and that's where it's going to be, you know, I bet if we lined up us. our ages, our average age of these albums, it was probably similar. Yeah, and I, I got three quick honorable mentions too before I, I run down mine for people who are listening. It's up here now on the video side um, Boys and Men 2 was definitely was one of my three honorable mentions. Jodeci, Forever My Lady. Those were kind of like hand-to-hand, like around the same time I played those. Mm-hmm. And being cheesy, but I am a cheesy guy, especially with music. Footloose soundtrack from the from the 80s. Love that movie, and I love that soundtrack. And I'm going to also say, over the last 15 to 20 years, I don't listen to a lot of music anymore. I mean, I listen yeah. to a ton of music, but on my playlist are all these songs, some that, some from your list, many from mine. I don't, yeah. play, I, every now and then, you know, a handful of songs a year, I'm like, oh, this is a good song and I'll add it. But for the most part, you know, my music is 
20 years or or older. All right. So anyway, my top I'm 10. I'm trying to change that. I keep trying to send you new stuff. We'll get you. You do. The Foreign Exchange, you sent me some stuff. I really dig that, man. That was that, That's good music there. Um, all right. So, and again, these aren't my favorite albums, but they're my most listened to. Number 10, Wham, Make It Big. That was on uh, 1984, which by the way, unrelated some point and probably won't be next week. And then you'll be out for the summer. But at some point I'm going to have you on the show. I know you think, I, th- I think you think 1994 is the best year for music ever. I say then. it's 84. Like, so actually, no, gonna, I think, I think I said, was it 94? I think 95. 95. Yeah, that's right. It was nine. You said 95. Yeah. I say it's 1984. We'll have a healthy debate about that sometime down the road. But again, do it. this was just a cheesy pop album that came out in the, in the eighties. This was symbolic of what music was like uh, back then. I know Kayla's Whisper is one of your favorite jams. That's on this album. I'll wake me up for you. Go, go. Everything she wants. Freedom. Great album. Number nine. This is the newest album on my list. And this album, I believe, is 25 years old. So nothing on my uh, list is 25 years or newer. sync, no strings attached. I yep. listened to that whole album. Not even going to lie happy. to you, dude. I had the uh, sync video. They had a live concert in Madison Square Garden. I tried to learn all their choreography. I tried to do a lot of their dances 25 years ago. This, to me, was almost an unskippable album. I still listen to it all the time. I love it. I think it's, it's awesome. If NSYNC went on tour today, I think it would be the biggest selling concert reunion tour of all time. It would sell out every stadium, everywhere they went. I'm 100% convinced of that. Uh, number eight, going back to, uh, I think, 1984 again, new edition, self-titled mm-hmm. album. Um, now, again, there wasn't like a shitload of great songs on this album, but Cool It Now and Mr. Telephone Man are two of my all-time favorites. And I would listen to this whole album or cassette time and time again. Quick anecdote too, by the way, one little thing with our age difference. There are some of these where I did actually listen to albums. Whereas you didn't you weren't listening to no albums, man. But when uh, early eighties had... early eighties, there was still albums was still by kind of semi popular. And I some of these were albums that I had. Yeah. My I will say I didn't get new vinyl uh ever, like current things that were out, but man, we one of the reasons I'm so into like Temptations and Motown, my parents had like 45s as kids, uh, right? And so they had all that music and we just used to play that stuff on Pete. We would play around with the vinyl all the time. Uh, but it was all old Motown 45s, but dude, Jackson 5 was like crazy. My mom had so much Jackson 5 and I think that's where that Motown style came from. But yeah, yeah, yeah. some right. experience in vinyl, but not a lot. Um, where was that? All right, eight was New Edition, seven, um, NWA straight out of Compton. Gangster rap wasn't really a big fan of it, but this album was kind of shoved down my throat a little bit. Eventually, I did get the cassette, and and I would listen to it from top to bottom. There were at least a couple songs on there that I that I still love to this day. Again, not one of my favorite rap albums of all time, but certainly one that I listen to the most. On uh, number six, this might be the only album that I have from the the nineties. It was a CD. I remember it very well. Pearl Jam's ten. Number six. Um, one of the few alternative albums from that era that I liked, I was not a big alternative music guy, but for whatever reason, I really liked the Pearl Jam album. Uh, number five, this is one of my favorite rap albums ever. Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. License to Ill. It's a good um, one. Yeah, man. There was just so many jams on that. And it was just, it was so weird at that time seeing three white rappers coming out with the style of music and the rock rap kind of blend that they had. It was very unique at the time. And this was an album uh, that I would listen to from beginning to end a lot. Number four, I probably could have picked three different albums from her, but Whitney Houston, her self-titled album, 
I think it was 1984 as well. I keep going back to that year. Um, dude, you give good love, saving all my love for you. How will I know? Greatest love of all, which I think I believe that was like our grammar school graduation song or something like that. But man, I listened to that album so much. I loved it. Number three, probably my favorite rap album of all time. Eric B and Rockham, paid in full. I will still put Rockham up against any rapper ever today. He was the first guy to come up with three or four sentence rhymes at once without stopping. Um, he was just such an originator. I love him. I love the beats. I, I love Rockham too. If you like him, go listen to Brother Ali. I'm telling you, they went on tour together not that long ago. I'm telling you. Really? All right. Sorry. <laughs> Again, pause there. I, I, I am going to have to check out Brother Ali. All right. Do top it. two here. Number two, Prince Purple Rain. Fantastic. Absolutely love that album. Uh, quick funny story. My father, that was my father's favorite. My father hated 80s music. My dad was a Temptations. He was a Motown. He was an Elvis guy. Loved oldies to him. You know, 80s was my music growing up. He hated my music growing up, but absolutely loved that Prince album. He would uh, play it from top to bottom. And number one, I'm not going to sit here and, and give it much explanation because it doesn't need it. Michael Jackson Thriller did have the album, still have the album. It's actually in my uh, record player. Or my, I got about maybe 10 or 12 albums that I bought recently. I got a record player and I started buying some older albums. But anyway, I have that. Probably my favorite album of all time. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Come back. We're going to talk some bills. Hopefully when we come back on the other side, I won't have these issues with uh, my microphone. Be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm back here with Aaron Quinn from Cover One. All right, so yeah, hopefully I, I've had some issues. My mic has been going in and out a little bit. I don't know how much it's going to affect the audio. Hopefully not much. I've been catching it for the most part. All right, so that was our albums. Thinking again, that's, this is fun stuff that I like doing. I know we spend half the show talking music, but that's what we do here midweek on uh, Talking Buffalo. I'm sure you and Greg are going to speak plenty more about this, um, the Ed Oliver extension. Um, yeah. I just saw Field Yates not long before we started taping this here on Tuesday morning, um, put out a tweet, four years, $68 million, um, 14.75 million signing bonus. His salary for this year is about 2 million. And he says, uh, field says that it creates about 5.775 million in cap space for Buffalo. Some of which of course went to, uh, the Leonard Floyd signing. Yes. <clears throat> let me just, let me say this. I, I feel like he's the new polarizing figure on his team. He's a new enigma, good or bad. Tremaine Emmons used to be that guy. 
Now is that Jerry Hughes? Jerry Hughes was that guy. Jerry Hughes was that guy uh, before that. Sure. And actually, this conversation about Ed feels a lot like the conversation that I was having about Jerry Hughes two years ago when people really wanted to move on because of this lack of sack total production. Yeah, right. I remember that very um, well too. And dude, I I think that. I'm wrong a lot. I know that, but I think I was super right about Jerry Hughes. He goes down and has a double digit sack year in Houston. Yeah. Sacks are weird. Um, they don't, it doesn't always translate that elite pass rushers end up getting a lot of sacks. It just doesn't always work that way. And then every once in a while you have like a random Jordan Phillips year where he the, has a big three sack game and that inflates some stack sack numbers for a year. So there's other better metrics, uh, PRP, things like that, where how often based on a guy, how often they rush, how much pressure they generate on a quarterback and people will get mad that pressures don't result to sacks. But if you look at splits of QBs and I'm going to go take a look at the here this week, pressures matter and we can't deny it. And I don't think, I think we undervalue it too much as fans. Uh, it impacts quarterbacks, every single one of them. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes probably perform best under pressure, but their splits change. They are worse quarterbacks under pressure. It's just a fact. And while you want everything to end in a sack and you want guys to clean up sacks and have those big third down sacks, it's rare. That's the rare outcome of a pass rush snap. So framing some of these ideas in the same way that we've talked about Tremaine Edmonds, the same way that we've talked about Jerry Hughes in the past, that we need to judge our players and the way the, how hyper critical we are of them because we watch every game so intensely and we have expectations of our own. We really need to take a step back and judge them at, against our peers. I put out a tweet earlier, Pat. I don't know if you saw it today. I was up w- wicked late last night to like 12 o'clock at night, just kind of running through some statistics because what I hear, the narrative I hear about the reaction to this Ed Oliver signing was mostly negative. I put out that I love it, and my mentions were littered with like, well, you're a joke. You're an idiot. You suck as an analyst. Uh, <laughs> and the, the, a lot of it was he doesn't compete with the guys that he was drafted near, the other top uh, first-round guys. And that is just, frankly, just actually not true. And there's a lot of context for all of these players when you really look down. But if we're just going to look at statistics, which is what we use to compare people like I put out a stat of taking the four-year sample size of Ed Oliver, Quinn and Williams, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, and Jeffrey Simmons. Only guys that were picked in the top 20. Uh, past years even, Vita Vey, Deron Payne, Sheldon Rankins. I took their four years of snaps, pressure, sacks, hits, hurries, tackles, mispercentage, stop. And even went further today with their PRP, which again is that all pressures kind of baked in. How do they perform on average with the amount of pass rush snaps? And Ed Oliver's not the best on this list. And I get that he was the second picked in that draft class. But among these first round guys, he's right there. He really is. And he played a full season injured this last year. He had a sprained ankle. When he came back from the ankle injury, he tweaked his calf. When he came back from the calf injury, he hurt his pec and he ran in. And then you are going into a playoffs where the whole team performed shitty, frankly. And then we're just, we're only picking out certain players that didn't show up in that game. We're not talking about Josh Allen playing terrible, but we are going to talk about Ed Oliver disappeared in the playoffs. It's unfair how we use recency bias to judge these guys. Let's stack them up to their peers and see. A lot of people are just throwing the number out of 17 million. When we saw the guaranteed money, everyone just took it and said, hey, he's getting 17 million. That's too much money for a defensive tackle. Well, Greg Greg Thompson put it up showing you where the average is. It's like 12th or 13th right now. And in two months, it's going to be 14th or 15th. And in a year and a half, it's going to be in the late teens, 20s. And he's still 
if he stays healthy, is going to be putting up the same type of production and numbers that these other guys are. So let's let's frame who these players are in a realistic manner. I'm not going to sit here and advocate that Ed Oliver is a top five, even a top 10 defensive tackle, but he's also not being paid to be that way. We look at the inflated number of the guaranteed money. You know what? Everyone's getting guaranteed money in the NFL now. This is the new norm. It's just the beginning of the trend where all players are going to get more guaranteed money than we're used to. That's just how it's going to go. I don't think it's as bad of a deal or as risky of a deal. It's one of the more risky ones Brandon Bean's made, but it really feels close to this Dawson Knox deal where it's like, hey, we're getting in on the guy. We want to extend him. We're not going to pay him the high level market value, but we're going to pay him for being the average starter that he is. To some extent. Sorry for the rant. To some extent. No, no, no. I like it. To some extent, it's a little bit of a calculated risk, not a crazy risk. It's a risk. It's a risk to an extent. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Saturday, I was at a picnic and news when the news broke. And my knee-jerk reaction was, you got to be freaking kidding me, man. $68 million, 45 guaranteed for Ed Oliver, who I have some issues with. More on that in a second. Then I went, and, and then the next day, I actually looked at other players and their contracts and what the money was. And you're 100% right. As of right now, he, he's getting like $17 per million per year in new money. If you also take his current year that he's in right now and add it to the fifth year, so he's basically here for five more years. Right. He's the 13th high pay in new money right now. He's 13th. Highest paid. He's 15th if you factor in this year as well. Um, besides Aaron Donald, number two through five defensive tackles in this league in terms of money all got new extensions this offseason. So they guys have been getting paid. Simmons, Payne, Lawrence, Hargrave. And then you mentioned this and you're 100% right. Before you know it, pretty soon, matter of weeks, months, it's going to happen sooner or later. Christian Wilkins and Quinton Williams are both going to get higher deals than Ed Oliver got. So all of a sudden you're looking at a guy who's going to be right around the middle of the pack in the NFL in, in terms of the highest paid, you know, defensive tackles. When you look at it that way, I don't think the contract's bad. I think you are right. I think sacks is an unfair stat. I think recency bias does come in play. That said, I'm not going to also dismiss the fact that I thought Ed Oliver, and now to be fair, there, I could say the same thing about seven or eight other defenders on this team, mm-hmm. was hot garbage in the playoffs. I really do. I thought he was trash in the playoffs. He was horrible against Miami and even worse against Cincinnati. Then again, Mm -hmm. so was Tremaine and so was about eight or nine other people. And I'm concerned, Aaron, if I have a concern about Ed Oliver, it seems to me, well, he certainly flashes and he looks awesome at times. And then he disappears. Really, I'm worried about the consistency. And another thing that it seems to me, and again, you were another point that needs to be brought up because you're right about this too. He played hurt last year. He missed three games. He's been very steady and durable. Throughout his career. Most, yeah. Yep. So he was banged up and hurt. But it just, is it fair to say that it feels to me like he need? why does, does he need Daquan Jones in the lineup? Does he need Vaughn Miller next to him to, to be the Ed Oliver that we want him to be? That's, you know, right. going to be one of the higher paid defensive tackles. That's sure. what I'm afraid of. Yeah. Um, uh, he's undersized. Mm-hmm. Right. We know that. So there's going to be limitations to what he needs around him. The same is true of Matt Milano, who we praise. The same was true of Tremaine Edmonds. Like those guys played better when Daquan Jones showed up or when they started to get real bigger linemen in front of them. Um, the rest of the line plays better when Von Miller's there. Like Von Miller enjoyed playing with Aaron Donald because it frees things up. That's true of every player that they need 
other pieces around him. Football is a team game, especially along the line and the way you play. But yes, he is undersized. He's going to need some of that stuff, but he hasn't had that till this year. And again, I took this four year sample size um, to compare because there's a lot of context. There's years where guys are injured. There's years. So I want to get a more big sample size of how sure. do guys develop at this position. Another thing is um, I think the way Bill's fans talk about Kyle Williams and the player that he was and how now we talk about an Ed Oliver, obviously Kyle Williams was a late, what was a fifth round pick or whatever like that, but he didn't have his prime years until there was legitimate guys and they had the cold front and all this uh, Marcel Darius came along and they started Mm -hmm. to get better along the defensive line. He also got better. Like that's just going to happen. Uh, A lot of these other guys also play with good players along their defensive lines too, but real quick, Pat, I don't want to get too into it because I know reading stats is not fun for audio listeners, but I just want to pick out a couple of things here of the uh, information that I ran through. Again, this is all from PFF and it's four year sample sizes of these top guys. Uh, We'll just read through the um, PRP and then I want to take the averages of all these guys and compare it to Ed Oliver. So for PRP again, which is um, a formula that is how often they rush the passer and when they hit hurry um, any type of registered pressure counts. So it's on an average of how often they're rushing. Ed Oliver's got a a PRP for these four years of 5.4. Quinton Williams was 6.02. Christian Wilkins was 4.08, so much under Ed. Dexter Lawrence was 5.5, right at Ed. Jeffrey Simmons was 5.08, under Ed. The average of these guys, not Ed Oliver, was 5.17 so he's above average of them in pressure ratings right so now let's look at some of these other things um so i took the averages of quinn williams uh christian wilkins dexter lawrence jeffrey simmons vita vey deron Payne, and sheldon rankin all their averages of snaps uh ed oliver's about a hundred under them and in, in the total snaps he gets uh in pressures he had 153 average over this four-year span the average for all the other guys was 147 Sacks, according to PFF, they rank sacks weird, but I use them for everything, so it's all the same type of data. He had 20, the average was 20. Hits, he had 34, the average was 25. Hurries, he had 99, the average was 101. Tackles, this is where he probably has the least, 111, and they the average was 130. Missed tackle percentage, his was 8.3, the average is 8. Uh, run stop per, uh, amount, he had his average was 103, the average was 115. So, He's right in line. Like he is in line with these top elite guys that we talk about and that people, when they see those contracts are going to be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. He's nasty. Like this deal for Ed Oliver. I do think I agree with you. There's some risk, but this is the new NFL. That risk is going to be associated with guaranteed money. Right. And guaranteed money's coming into play. Football players are seeing what basketball players make. They see what baseball players make. They are demanding more guaranteed upfront. It's going to be the, the norm in five years. We aren't going to think about guaranteed contracts like this. Uh, there's going to be more risk than ever. Owners aren't going to like it. It's a new trend. But I do think in a few years, if he stays healthy and is able to put together continuous healthy seasons here, I, I think this contract's going to look real good and probably maybe even a bargain. Well, one to two years from now, he's going to be the 17th, 18th best paid defensive tackle in the NFL. And I, I would say he's one of the best 17 or 18 best defensive tackles in the NFL. Do you feel like what happened with Brandon Bean or Brandon Bean and, and Tremaine Evans last year might have played a role in this? Like, I feel like yes. maybe if Bean got a deal done last year before the season started with Edmonds, the way it plays out, Tremaine Evans is still a Buffalo Bill. Um, yeah, Ed Oliver in a contract year. We've talked about this a couple times. 
at all, and so is Gabe Davis for that matter as well. These guys in a contract year, maybe, you know, they go on they, and they ball and they, and they play fantastic. And next thing you know, man, he hits the market and he's going to get go get 19, 20 million mm-hmm. at least somewhere else if he has a big year. He is young. He's going into year five and he's 25 years old. Dude ain't old. You know, he's not like he's 31, 32 years old. So yep. do you feel like what happened last year with Edmonds in part is maybe the reason why they want to get something done with Ed now? Yes. Yeah, no, definitely. I, um, Trinity Edmonds side played the, their free agency card perfectly. Yeah. A lot of players bet on themselves and it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. So kudos to him. Kudos to his team. I do think the bills wanted to get a deal done. And I think in hindsight, uh, maybe Bean probably feels like they could have been more aggressive earlier on and still got a value relative to the, where the market ended up. Um, and so I, I think it's natural to at least, I'm not going to assume that's what happened, but to say that that was a metric baked into their decision-making process is like, Hey, they, we know they want to sign their own, right? That they draft and they invest in guys. And if they meet their own internal metrics, that's another thing here is we can talk about PFF grades, things like that. Clearly the bills have shown that they are happy with Ed Oliver's performance in the metrics that they, in the grades that they are putting on these players. And we can debate if they can judge that stuff or not. Well, but this defense has put up really good results year over year with Ed Oliver getting 50, 60% snaps. Um, So I, I do think that that risk assessment of losing Tremaine Edmonds definitely played a factor uh, in getting Ed. And, uh, and clearly, if you would given that money to Tremaine, that probably changes the conversation of who you're able to keep into the future, right? So Ed Oliver probably doesn't even register for them if you had that money already tied up in Tremaine. That's a good point as well. Um, we're going to save our finish the sentence segment. We're going to push that to next week because I had a couple things that I want to get to in the last 10 to 15 minutes here. Um, another relative surprise on Monday, the Bills signed a, a good pass rusher, a really good pass rusher, Leonard Floyd, to a one-year deal. Um, he's had nine sacks, at least nine sacks, three straight years. And I went and I looked this up. Now, I don't have these fancy stats. I certainly didn't put in the work that you did when it comes to Ed Oliver. But I did see something that was pretty interesting. Bruce Smith, Mario Williams, Vaughn Miller, the only three players ever that the Bills have had a defensive line that have ever had three straight years of nine sacks, whether it was with the Bills or whether it was with somebody else. So they got a guy who's been really consistent over the last few years. Talk about him. And just also, it's become really obvious now. Brandon Bean, this offseason, put a lot of resources into these trenches on both sides of the ball. Um, they addressed the offensive line in a big way, the interior of it for sure anyway. Um, and now um, bringing in Puna Ford first after the draft, mm-hmm. and now Leonard Floyd shows that they're veteran resources. I shouldn't even just say, I mean, rookie resources, of course, because they had a, a guard with a second-round pick, which is right. veteran resources through free agency that they really wanted to reinforce the trenches on both sides. They want to reinforce on both sides of the football. Like I said, I apologize. I just got a, some audio issues for people who are listening to this. But yeah, go ahead. Your thoughts on Floyd and just the Bills um, with the trenches this off season. Yeah. To me, it's, uh, protect Josh Allen was like my number one calling card, right. Right after the season ended. And it was really my take on the bills in these pressure situations have been their inability to win the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And it's not necessarily against any one player. I don't know if it's just the scheme or the, just the physicality of the, the amount of guys they have and the rotation, but they seem to be get beat in those big moments in the trenches. So 
it makes sense. I still think that's where the game's won, even though we are like this modern spreading the ball out and getting that stuff. Uh, protecting your quarterback and impacting the other quarterback are the two biggest ways to create disruption and to get big plays. And so uh, it makes sense that you want to make the investments there. I think it's a um, also leaned into a really good time to be a good team because you have these pretty high end Justin Houston still playing at a very good rate in terms of getting pressures. I want Ingram. Yeah. Melvin Ingram's right there too. And Floyd is, uh, hasn't put together it as often throughout his career. The last three years have been, been really good. So he's not necessarily by fans thought of in that top tier, but he's right there. Like he, he again, you said it consistently putting up nine sacks 30 over the last three years. That's a real number. Uh, I think that sack, conversation can be a bit inflated but doing it over a trending amount of time matters um I, another point on floyd here that i was kind of talking about on the cover one slack channel is he's another guy that is a good conversation about development of players he was considered a bust in chicago yeah. right like and the defense i know people talk about his usage and slightly he was used uh in different ways but he was with vic fangio like they were running a good solid defense that people have had production in and he really did not meet his draft expectations. I don't know if it was Chicago. I don't know if it was development or coaching or what it was, but oftentimes we get so frustrated and there's this media narrative that if a guy gets drafted and he doesn't come in in those first two years and produce at these great rates and meet these expectations that this guy is somehow a bust and we give up on development and development's not like linear and it doesn't match up for everybody. And not everybody starts at the same point or with the same things around them. And so um, he is an interesting kind of conversation just to, put in the back of our heads when we get frustrated with guys that are in their third year and they haven't totally popped yet, or they've shown signs, but haven't totally gotten there that we're real excited about getting a Leonard Floyd now. But for the first four years of his career, I don't think anybody was excited to add him to the Rams. Like there was some excitement of, Hey, maybe we can get the player that was drafted, but nobody knew. Right. And so the bills um, fans, maybe like, I'm not saying, Boogie Basham's going to bust out anytime soon, or maybe, maybe AJ Vanessa will. I don't know. But again, comparing to our, the people around the league, what we see and seeing those trends and, ha- and setting real expectations for our own. And I want to be clear about something too, because I don't want to be hypocritical and two faced here. And I'm glad you explained it out the way you did, because you, we can't sit here on one side and say, well, Ed Oliver not having sex. You know, that doesn't mean that much. And then I can't sit here and say, well, Leonard Floyd had nine sacks each of the last three years. And all of a sudden, that's all so important sacks. It can't be the end all be all. But he is a good player. I will say the nine sacks he had is it's more than any Buffalo Bill had last year. You know, Rizzo and Miller had eight each. So he would have led the team quickly too. Jeremy Fowler literally just tweeted this out while we're taping this. Um, Floyd's one year deal is worth seven million, fully guaranteed. With incentive mm-hmm. packages for eight, ten, and twelve sacks, that can get up to nine million per source, and the cap hit will be lower due to to void years, which I know Greg's already talked about that as well um, over at Cover One. So that's the deal. I think it's a good one. Um, I, I just I, I'm impressed with the way the Bills addressed the defensive line after the draft. You know, we didn't have Puna Ford and and, and, and Floyd. After the, you know, when the draft ended and there were a lot of people bitching, including me, I'll raise my own hand. I'm like, I can't believe the Bills didn't really address the defensive line with this draft. Well, they addressed it after the draft with quality veterans, one year deals, and they can reevaluate where they are after that. So I'm a big fan of what the Bills, I think Brandon Bean's pretty aggressive with the trenches and that matters. One last thing, then we'll get out of here. I and mean, like I said, we'll put uh, our finish the sentence segment 
we'll we'll do that next week. I don't know how much you got to watch. We didn't talk uh, yesterday, but um, the groundbreaking ceremony. Did you get to Did you get to see any of it or, or see any highlights? Uh, I don't mean to be rude to people that care. I don't. I don't have particular don't interest in the stadium. I don't need. I I don't care about that stuff. Like mm-hmm. most of it was just you know the take a bow, Kathy Holko, Mark Poland cars, all the guys, you know, just praising the bills and getting it done, yada, yada, yada. A lot of it, political speeches. But I will give Terry Bagula credit, and this is why I wanted to bring this up. Terry Bagula, not the greatest speaker, does not speak often. We we, we know that. In fact, it, it, we would, you know, fans, medias for sure, would like to see him kind of speak more often. At least most people would anyway. Tell you what. Authentic dude, whether you, whether you love him or whether you don't love him, he's an authentic guy. He wears his heart on his sleeve. I remember when he took over the Sabres and he started thinking about Gilbert Perot and some of the, the old Sabres. He started crying, man. You know, he's a fan. He's a Buffalo sports fan. And um, he got emotional. And this wasn't sports related, but he got really emotional. He named off the 10 victims from the top shooting of a year ago. And then he mentioned his wife, who I've never, I have not heard him mention his wife once since you know, things have went down and you could just yeah. feel the emotion in them. So I just, you know, I just wanted to to commend Terry Begul. A lot of people ridicule him for, you know, him, again, him not being a great speaker in, in this and yeah. that, but um, I thought he did a, a really good job speaking. I thought it was the highlight of otherwise boring and yeah. I don't, know, so I don't give his... a shit either, but I, I thought Begul was really good. I'll have to give a uh, look to his man. Yeah, I, the conversation around the Pagula is super weird, right? Because um, billionaires typically aren't cool. Like anytime yeah. I defend the Pagulas, I get a bunch of dudes coming in my t- telling me I'm a billionaire bootlicker and all this stuff. Um, but as a football fan, if I get rid of the idea, like what, we can have the discussion about billionaires and capitalism and all that stuff some other time. Um, hopefully not. But as a football <laughs> fan. Uh, seeing the type of ownership that's out there. I'm a Bulls fan and knowing that uh, the Bulls, I think I've talked about it with you, that their owner doesn't want to win. He just wants to make money and be good enough to be playoff caliber and just have fans excited enough. That's a real thing. Um, I think we all think the only success in football is winning Super Bowls. I guarantee you these baseline owners that just want to make money they do want to win a Super Bowl, but they're also okay with just selling jerseys and getting sold out stadiums and being part of the NFL. Terry Pagula really has put his money where his mouth is to a point. I think he probably should have paid more money for the stadium, but whatever, that's how the NFL works. That's how things business goes here. These types of contracts that he's willing to give out, whether you like him or not, the guaranteed money, the upfront bonuses that's coming out of Terry Pagula. Like Terry Pagula is making investments. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott talk about it all the time. When they need to fly somewhere or they need to get resources to something, they feel empowered to go ask Terry and he gives them the resources they need and they praise him all the time. And again, billionaire, where's your thoughts on billionaires aside? If you're a bills fan, it feels really good because the stories of Ralph Wilson's cheapness really set that franchise back. Like that is sort of what perpetuated the drought was this guy just unwilling to give star players the money that they deserved and just cheaping out um, whenever he could. Last point here. Um, Right after that ceremony, social media, the Bills put out that like fan stadium uh, video. Uh, that that yeah. was pretty hype, man. I know you saw that. I saw that. I saw yeah, it. No, that I saw was you great. Talk about you know you being so happy to be a uh, Bills fan. I'm not gonna lie, man. I was kind of ready to run through a wall. Maybe it's like, what are we here? I hate doing this because we're in early June, but it's like I'm so ready for football season to start. 
But of course, in Buffalo, that means you sacrifice summer because when the bill season starts, you know, summer's pretty much done. But yeah, man, that, that video got me hyped, man. I was ready to go. <laughs> so, all right, that's going to do it for this show. Again, I got Aaron one more week here next Wednesday. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at AaronQuinn716. And by the way, Aaron's not going away. He's still doing his show with Greg every oh, yeah. week. It's just him being available to, to we tape this in the morning. Greg, so every week. Maybe be... we can get you. I think we're all going to show up to training camp. You should come. And oh, yeah, yeah. Us, I, I definitely plan on doing it. Yeah. So make sure you check those guys out. Thanks as always, buddy. Good to have you. Hey, thank you, bud.